All right, welcome into the Payoff Pitch, the third edition of the Payoff Pitch. Quinton Pelzel, Luke Bagoni with you. This is a week where we are recording a little earlier than what you're hearing now. So it's a Friday at 12.20 p.m. And so a lot's probably going to happen between now and then, but, you know, just bear with us. We'll take you all the way up till 10 a.m. here when you're listening to it, Undercovered with Emily Adams and Alora Legger. will come up after us, but... Luke, we got a lot to get into, a lot to talk about um, on this Friday afternoon. Certainly a lot to get into, and you know it was a pretty fun week in sports. I think we have a lot to get into in variations of sports. We're going to talk about the NFL today, the NCAA tournament. Selection Sunday is approaching. You'll be hearing this on Selection Sunday, but as Quentin just said, today is a Friday. The All-Star Game happened. We'll talk about how that really did not live up to expectations. And right. we got some baseball to talk about. Yeah, you talked about the All-Star Game. That... Did you watch, let's let's just start with the All-Star Game. Did you watch the All-Star Game at all? Nope. As no. I said on Sunday, I wasn't, and I didn't. So, so even as a Knicks fan, seeing Julius Randle in the All-Star Game didn't do it for you. You didn't. You just no. didn't watch it. Did you watch the dunk contest? I did watch the dunk contest, yes. So you turned I, on the All-Star Game to watch the dunk yeah, contest. Well, actually, I went downstairs in the house I live, and my housemates had the dunk contest on. So I happened to walk in at that time. And I watched the dunk contest because of that. So I was just, you know, I was a little curious. I said originally that I wasn't going to be watching any of the All-Star game, even Julius, even though Julius Randle was there. But I ended up watching it. Julius Randle scored, I think, two points or four points, something like that. Um, me as a Knicks fan, uh, I was kind of looking forward to him maybe playing a little bit more. But I kind of expected it with all the stars out there. Julius Randle kind of, you know, he kind of squeaked in there. I think we all can. Mm-hmm. Um, but he deserved to get in there. Uh, well, he he stand, definitely did. He that. definitely did deserve to get in there. But when he's going, up, when he's competing for playing time with guys like James Harden and yeah. you know, and the superstars LeBron James, Giannis, he's not going to be playing that much. But the dunk contest um, definitely was, I think, a little overhyped. Yep. I think it did not live up to any of the expectations. Not even close. And I even have people like on my Twitter timeline saying that it was one of the worst ever. But it was still pretty good to see Obi Toppin, Knicks player, in the dunk contest in the final round. It was good to see him in, but objectively speaking, if he wasn't in it, I would maybe agree it was one of the most boring dunk contests of all time. There was no hype between any of them. I mean, I don't know, maybe it was because these players aren't ones who shine in the NBA on a daily basis. Like when Zach Levine, Aaron Gordon was in it, it was obviously hyped up, and then they obviously delivered. And when you get... Bigger names, like when Nate Robinson used to be in it, that was great because yeah. Nate Robinson was like 5'7". Right. Right? Dwight Howard, he was a superstar at the time of those. I think when you get the dunk contest with these kind of guys, it's not going to draw the biggest crowd. No, I think I totally agree with that. Like Obi Toppin, everyone knows him from his college days when he was at Dayton, one college player of the year. So I can kind of see Obi Toppin, but I don't think the average NBA fan knows who Cassius Stanley is or no. Anthony Simons is. Yeah, I, and I think what was really funny, actually, they were reading off the stats of Cassius Stanley. He plays for the Pacers right now. What does he have, like two or three games? He has zero NBA dunks. Yeah. Zero NBA dunks, and he's in the All-Star game. How does the NBA expect to get any sort of ratings with guys that no one even knows in the dunk contest? And what was even kind of sad almost, the announcers leading up to it, they are like, Cassius Stanley has been waiting for this moment, like his entire life, he's, he's waited for the dunk contest. This moment has been made for him, and then he didn't make it out of the first round, yeah. which I thought he should have. Honestly, his first dunk, I don't think was scored well enough. I thought it should have been higher. But beside the point, like I, I was like, 
should I know this guy? Like, should I know who this is? And I'm, it honestly makes me feel better that you just said what you said about him. Yeah, the scoring is definitely, over the past couple of years, it's been a little skewed. Like, you'll start, you'll see tens all the way across the board for the first dunk of the dunk contest, and you're like, wow, all tens. And you'll see a better dunk later, get like an eight or a nine. So, like, I don't really get the scoring. I do like at the end how they just picked a player okay, yes, and was- not just put scores down. I think picking a player, I think what they should do, all right, hear me out on this. Here, I'm thinking about this on the fly. They should just have, like, a bracket. So, like... Two guys will go against each other, and they pick okay. who is better, and they move on to the next round. Have, like, four guys or six guys have, you know, a top seed. So like the home run derby. Like the home run derby. They play against each other, and whoever's whoever has the better dunk, they move on to the next round. I think that's pretty good, right? I like that idea, but do you think people would knock it like they do with the home run derby? I think it was the year Pete Alonso. I think it was the year Pete Alonso won it. But Vlad Guerrero Jr. hit way more home runs overall, but because Pete didn't face him off when Vlad went off in that round, if you remember that, and then Pete and Vlad faced off in the final, Vlad went cold. Yeah, no, Vlad went cold, yeah. Um, I think... I think there's a give and take. I think there's a give and take with each form of competition within this because you're not going to make everyone happy. It's impossible to do with something like this. But, you know, I think the dunk contest with the scoring right now, people, like, they don't want to give out tens, I think, because of Levine and Gordon and how every single dunk was a 10, but those dunks they were giving out were 10s, but it also shouldn't take away from the dunks given now. I don't know. It's. I also think that, you know, there's only so many dunks you can do. I know Simons did that thing where he put it at the top of the square on the backboard and he dunked it. Like, it wasn't flashy, but it was definitely original, and that's kind of what I appreciated. I think the NBA dunk contest has been around for so long that we've kind of seen everything at this point. Like... Between, I'm just, I was looking back too at the previous dunk contests and how they rank all the dunk contests. Like that Vince Carter 2000 dunk contest, even though I wasn't a, I wasn't around to see it or comprehend it, I was one year old. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's, I think, the consensus best NBA dunk contest uh-huh. that we've ever seen. But right here, uh, we also have the Aaron Gordon one, I think in 2016. That one, that one definitely, was... like when you think of NBA dunk contest, that one was pretty for, special. For our, for, for our era as fans, we're going to look back at that whenever, however old we get, we're going to think that was the dunk contest, you know, we think of when, as NBA fans. The one that I actually do think of when I was in my childhood was Dwight Howard coming out of the phone booth with the Superman cape. Yeah. I thought that was awesome. Now, we did have some iconic stuff. Maybe at that time we didn't think it was so crazy, but now that we've seen some other dunk contests that have been so underwhelming, we value those more. Like I said, Nate Robinson winning the dunk contest yeah. at his height. And as a Nick, it'd be like, yo, this is crazy. And Nick's yeah. going to win the dunk contest. So that no, was that, always a lot of fun. But That was pretty cool. Then the three-point contest, I mean, I didn't watch it. I watched the highlights. But Steph just went off. Yeah, and, no, and, I same as you. I didn't watch it. I To be honest, I had no clue when it was on. <laughs> so I don't really, I didn't really care, but I did see my Twitter timeline absolutely blow up yeah. when Steph Curry went off. Steph had like a rack and a half left, maybe two racks, and he can only miss one yeah. if he wanted to win. Nailed, I think, the entire second to last rack. Oh, did he? And then nailed like one or two on the last, missed one, and then nailed the last two or three. So he went, I think it's five balls per one. So he went nine for ten down the stretch. To get the win in the three-point contest. Yeah, I mean, what do you expect now at this point from Steph Curry? He is the greatest shooter ever. Yeah. he's If he's in the three-point contest, he's going to show up. And, you know, that's that. I mean, there's not really a lot there. I don't even know who else he was competing against, really. I mean, 
Steph, Steph Curry. That's it. He's the headliner. I expect him to win. Okay, so that's pretty much it. I think overall, was there even a skills competition? I don't think there yes, was. Yes, right? there was. Oh, there, there was. Was there really? Yeah. James, Julius Randle was in it. I see. I don't. I yeah, really he lost. Care. He lost to the eventual champion, Demontis Sabonis. Won it. Yeah. Big man winning the skills challenge. Yeah, of course Sabonis was going to win it. He's just. He, they shouldn't. He shouldn't even been there. Um, but overall, I would say. The all the all the All Star festivities was just I feel like it was a little forced, yep. and they didn't need to do it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think you're just putting the players at an unnecessary risk right now. Mm-hmm. You're gonna put all the players in Atlanta in a, in the same spot. You're gonna hope that they don't test positive for COVID. And we did see right before the All Star game, Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons. They couldn't play in the All-Star game because of a close contact with their barber. I mean, that's that's the type of stuff, though, that can be easily avoided if you just give the NBA players a week off. They don't have to worry about jam-packing in Atlanta in an All-Star game. Yeah, just go a year without the All-Star game. But right. anyway, the NBA came back as of two nights ago, and we saw every team back in action last night. We saw some, you know, some fun action last night. The Knicks did return, and they were destroyed. By the Milwaukee Bucks. Yeah, and that was just a really, really disappointing performance from the Knicks. And, you know, it's the first game back from the All-Star break, so you can't really say, oh, they were tired. I mean, I hear people saying that Julius Randle was gassed. How is he gassed? He, he, they just had, like, a week off. I know he played in the All-Star game. He played 10 minutes in the All-Star game, and they just dog it the entire time. So he played 29 minutes last night, 7 points. I think it's easily his worst game of the year. R.J. Barrett actually played pretty well, 22 points, but I don't think R.J. is at that point where, you know, if everyone else on the team isn't playing well, he can't carry them. Mm. Like, Julius Randle, he's the type of player, and we've seen it this year, at least in the first half, where if he's on, the Knicks are going to be in the game, and yep. they will they will most likely compete to the very end and um, probably even win the game. But R.J. Barrett was the only player who played well, and unfortunately at this point, his career is just not enough. As we talked about last week, he's... They've proven this year that he can definitely be a second guy on a team. But as you just said, he's not going to be that guy who's going to lead you to victory night in and night out or give you even that potential to do that like a Julius Randle has done so far. And I think that's okay, though. Like, obviously, when you're drafting someone at third overall and someone as hyped up of a prospect as R.J. Barrett was, you want that number one guy. But at the same time, he's definitely not a bust up to this point. No, RJ Barrett isn't a bust. I think last year a proper assessment would be that his rookie campaign was underwhelming. I think I was expecting a little bit more, but then like as the season ended, I was kind of like, you know what? Like what could I have expected? I mean, this team was awful around him and he was pretty much the only player getting shots up. I think he was maybe doing a little too much, kind of like Randall was, and it was just it was just a bad situation for the Knicks overall last year. So mm-hmm. I think I've seen some really good improvement from RJ. He's starting to shoot the ball better, which is a positive sign. Um, it was just unfortunate that the Knicks had to go up against the Milwaukee Bucks the first game out of the All-Star break because yeah. the Bucks are one of the best in the East. Yeah, and the Knicks do have a tough schedule going forward. Do you think, what do you think they have to do to, like, I, mean, I feel like within this tight East, you can't really go on a big losing streak. No, you no, you definitely can't. And I think in the first half, the Knicks kind of got away with having a slightly easier schedule. But mm-hmm. now in the second half, as you said, they do have a tougher schedule. Uh, they play the Thunder tomorrow on a Saturday. So um, I think 
team like the Thunder, the Wizards, um, you know, even really the Magic, the Heat at this point, the Timberwolves, you have these teams coming up over the next couple weeks, and you need to beat the teams that you're supposed to beat. Mm -hmm. And at least just be in it against the teams that are going to be really tough, like exactly. the 76ers and the Mavericks and, you know, the Nets. Uh -huh. um, so I think if the, if the Knicks could just keep pace and just stay on schedule, if they can just beat the teams that they should beat, I think they'll be fine and they'll mm -hmm. be in the playoffs. And, you know, every once in a while, maybe we'll see them knock off a big team. But as you said, just go out and do your job against these teams that are not as good as you, that are quite frankly worse than you. And if you can do that, you can find yourself in the playoffs. We talk about it a lot every single year, I think. I know we're talking about baseball later, but with the Mets, we always say in the NL East, you're going you're gonna to do well in the NL East. Back when the Marlins and Phillies were in their dog days a couple years ago, Marlins, right. maybe, I don't know, they made the playoffs last year, but you know, it was beat the Marlins, beat the Phillies. you got to win those divisional games if you want to compete with the Nationals and the Braves or something along those lines. So the Knicks... Just take down these average East teams at best. Yeah, and I just hope that... Um, I know a lot of people were saying that Randall was maybe a little tired from the first half. Um, he just logged a ton of minutes in the first half of the season. And they may get run down. And Tom Thibodeau is actually known to um, you know, have his players log a ton of minutes. So I'm kind of interested to see how that's going to play out throughout the second half of the season. If Julius Randle keeps playing 30-plus minutes or 40-plus minutes even, how is that going to weigh on him? Because I know that he hasn't played that many minutes in his career. Same with R.J. Barrett. Same with guys you know, like Alfred Payton. I mean, Tom Thibodeau loves guys like Alfred Payton, and he's going to definitely um, go to them down the stretch, especially because it's a trust factor. I mean, does he trust um, Julius Randle more than Obi Toppin? Of course. So Julius Randle is going to play a ton more than Obi Toppin, and I think that's going to be... Um, an interesting thing to watch for as um, as the season goes on. So I know we didn't really get to the Nets. We're running out of time here. We got to take a little bit of a break. But the Nets are on fire. Um, they're playing well. They beat the Celtics last night, even without KD. Um, just quickly before we wrap up here and go to break, I think um, KD is starting to get a little concerning now. He's been out for a couple weeks, and I thought that he was going to come back mm -hmm. a couple weeks before the All Star game, but he hasn't, and he's actually gone back to uh, the doctor to get a second opinion on his hamstring. So I just don't know if when the Nets become concerned with it. Yeah, at some point, you're thinking to yourself, well, what's going on with this guy? I mean, the injury, the Achilles tear, it's a major, major injury. So they may just be really, really cautious with him because obviously they know they're going to make the playoffs. And as long as they have KD there, they might be thinking, okay, we'll be fine with him. But also, if he's not getting these minutes, if you just thrown back in, end of the regular season, or come playoff time, the risk for re-injury could be high considering he's taking so much time off. Yeah, no, I would definitely agree with that. Uh, we're going to take a little bit of a break here. When we come back, we'll be talking about some NCAA basketball, and we also got some NFL for you, some new news surrounding Deshaun Watson. Don't go anywhere. The Payoff Pitch will be right back. Welcome back to the Payoff Pitch. Luke Magoni and Quentin Pelzel here with you today. Quentin, Selection Sunday, for our listeners, is today. And very exciting time in college basketball. As I said last week, we haven't had an NCAA tournament in what will be two years when it kicks off next week. But, man, I am excited. And before we get into that, really, we got some great conference basketball games today. Yeah, I know. We definitely do today on Fridays when we're recording this. So 
Um, by the time you hear this, a lot of the conference championships will already be over. But just looking at the rundown today, I mean, in the ACC, we got some Florida State, North Carolina. North Carolina is playing very well. And also in the ACC, there is a little bit of some breaking news this morning that Virginia, because of a positive case within their program, we don't know if it's a player, if it's administrative, if it's you know a coach, but there is a positive test in Virginia's program, so that causes them to forfeit the game against Georgia Tech, which would have been today on a Friday. Now Georgia Tech moves on, and they'll play in the ACC Finals against either Florida State and or um, North Carolina. So that's definitely just part of what we kind of expected. Yeah, I mean, that's... especially around this time, it sucks because Virginia has done so much, and all of these teams have done so much to get to this point mm-hmm. in the year, and now Virginia... They cost. They got costed a chance at winning the ACC championship, and now they may not even get into the NCAA tournament because of yeah. that positive case. Mm-hmm. And it just sucks for them overall because they're coming off such a great win yesterday versus Syracuse. The buzzer beater three to win. They came down, and when I was watching, they were down by as many as 11 in that game. It may have been more. And they win the ACC regular season tournament, or regular season title. They're looking pretty good for the tournament. I mean, they would have played Georgia Tech today, and then they would have been... They would have had a good amount of momentum heading into the NCAA tournament. And, you know, we'll see if they're in the NCAA tournament, not based off skill, but because of COVID. And it just sucks. But I think we talked about in our first episode, it's kind of something that's just you had to deal with this year. Yeah, I think they'll definitely, I mean, they'll be, the committee will put them in the NCAA tournament. Whether or not they'll be able to play is a different story. And now if UVA, they get put as... What do we think they're going to be, like a two or a three seed? Yeah, probably maybe, two or three, maybe four. Maybe yeah. four. Now you take UVA out and you put in another team that just barely missed out, and you put them as the four seed because, yeah. remember, we went over the NCAA guidelines for this sort of situation a couple mm-hmm. weeks ago. So now UVA will probably, will most likely, um, I, I actually shouldn't say most likely. I have no clue what the positive case is, how what contact tracer... Um, within the program, if they've been able to contain it, if they've been able to contain it, but um, yeah, it's just a really unfortunate situation for UVA. Elsewhere, we got some Big Twelve. I think the Big Twelve slate tonight is just off the rocker. You got Oklahoma State and Baylor. Um, Oklahoma State has just been spectacular. Kate Cunningham is the first overall pick in the draft. Yeah. I think we can all agree on that. They've been on fire as of late. Like they have. Storm through Big 12 play. I mean, they yeah. they took down West Virginia last night, who at one point was ranked sixth in the country. Like this yeah. West Virginia team or this Oklahoma State team is really talented. But then they're going to Baylor, who is obviously one of the best teams in the country. And if I'm not mistaken, I think Oklahoma State did they? No, they didn't take down Baylor, but they had a big win against some other team without Cade Cunningham. They took. I think it might have been Oklahoma. Maybe it was Oklahoma. I think it was Oklahoma. They were without Cade Cunningham. They're um, the, probably the first overall pick in the upcoming NBA draft, and they went into Oklahoma and won that yes. game. I mean, yeah. that, that that was impressive for me. Um, and they're number 12 in the country right now. I think they can be very, very dangerous heading into the NCAA tournament. And then the in the opposite semifinal, you also have Kansas and Kansas will go up against Texas. That was a big win for Texas last night. They were down by double digits in the second half, and they ended up coming back and beating Texas Tech. 
And we know how good Kansas is. They're always on the top mm-hmm. of the Big 12 every single year. Yeah. Whether or not they actually win the NCAA tournament is another story. They normally, you know, they fizzle out. out. Exactly, yeah. yeah that, but to correct us, it was actually Oklahoma State-West Virginia where Kate Cunningham did not play in oh, the first it? matchup. But then they played again, Okay. and they won that I, game last night. But now they're playing Baylor, who they lost to by 11 in the first matchup. So we'll see if things could change. But as you mentioned, the Big 12 semifinals tonight, excellent. I mean, the lowest-ranked team is 13, I think, in Kansas. So we'll get a nice final out of that. And whoever wins the Big 12, been a competitive Big 12 this year, should be obviously very proud of themselves. Big 10 also, really good slate tonight. you got Rutgers, Illinois, Ohio State, Purdue, and then Michigan, Maryland playing right now. Michigan ahead by four, um, just started in the second half. So a lot, this is the best time of year. In my opinion, this is the best time of year. And overall speaking, I think... This is the this if this was a holiday, this would be the second best holiday for me mm-hmm. behind Thanksgiving. I think Thanksgiving is the best holiday because you got football, you got family, you got food. Um, but I think NCAA tournament is the second best holiday. If it was a holiday, it would definitely be the second best. This is the best time of year. The first two days of those first round games, yeah, electric. Like you got you're watching one game on. TNT, you look into the top right, you're seeing your other games that you have in your bracket going off. And it's just it's just a great time. So with the NCAA tournament coming up, and because of the timing of our show, but next time we are on air, the first and second rounds will already be played. Yes. And actually, now that I think about it, I think we'll be pretty far into the NCAA tournament by the time by the next time we are in the studio next week. So brackets are starting up and I would say because of the timing of our um, our radio show we're not going to be able to make our own brackets before the start of the show so I would say we come up with three or four teams that we think are going to be in the championship and I know I said last week that I wanted Gonzaga. I think Gonzaga is going to be the favorite. I would still stick by Gonzaga but I do like having the security net of picking two or three other teams mm-hmm. as well. So I would say Gonzaga. Where do you? What do you feel about Gonzaga? And what are your other teams? I hate to be mainstream, but it's hard to pick against Gonzaga right now as one of our top three, considering they're twenty-six and zero. I saw them, watched them in the WCC conference championship game the other night. They were down pretty big versus BYU. Yeah, they were. They weren't playing well, and then they turned it on. They they turned into the team that they've been all year and ended up winning, I think, by ten. Yeah, so, and. Uh, just one quick on that. Sorry to cut you off, but Gonzaga was down at BYU, and I question like how good is BYU? So like if Gonzaga comes out flat like that against a team like even in the middle of the pack, like how are they going to respond? And like are they going to be able to dig themselves out of the ditch that mm-hmm. they dug themselves into against exactly. BYU? Like they can yes. do it against BYU because BYU, mm-hmm. I mean they it's not one of the top. They're they're not great, right? Exactly. So that's kind of, that's why I kind of was a little cautious. Uh, even rethinking my pick for Gonzaga, but I'm still going to stick with Gonzaga. Yeah, I, I think they have to be there. Um, my second, now it gets a little tougher because there's so many other choices in that I think there are so many teams within this top 10, top 15 that are so even with each other that it's hard to pick one out. But I really like Michigan's game. I yeah. They've struggled a bit as of late, but before this little struggle they've had, they were really, really good. They had one loss on the season. And I think Jawan Howard has done a fantastic job with that team. I think he's one of those coaches that will just undoubtedly have them ready for the tournament, and I think they'll avoid any upsets early, which is obviously what you have to do if you're an elite team, and I think they'll be able to compete with teams when it gets to the Sweet 16 and Elite 8 because they've been competing with 
great competition within the Big Ten all year long. I mean, Illinois has been a top five team. Ohio State's been in the top ten at some point. You know, this is a really strong Big Ten conference. Yeah, no, actually, I do agree with you there, but um, we just talked about this team. I think Oklahoma State has the chance to really go far in the tournament. I think they'll probably be somewhere around a four or a five again. I think, uh, you know, this could be the year that we see a four or a five get to the Elite Eight, Final Four, and even be in the championship, especially if they have a healthy Cade Cunningham. Mm-hmm. I think Oklahoma State, um, they can go pretty far. Mm-hmm. And my third team? Yeah, what's your third team? Let's hear it. I'm trying to uh, trying to go through it, but I also really like Illinois. I think Big Ten. I'm big 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 Ten guy right now, and I picked. Of course, I picked three of the top four teams right now in the AP Top Ten or AP Top Twenty Five. But Illinois, I've watched them play. They're they're scrappy. They're grindy, and they have Io. I can't pronounce his last name. Yeah, don't even try. But I, I can't either. You need that star player when trying to make a run, like you mentioned with Oklahoma State and Kate Cunningham. Right. Illinois has that star, and they have the surrounding pieces because he was out a good amount of time, and they won some games without him. So I like them heading into this tournament. Yeah, Illinois is a good pick, but I think kind of like what we were going back to or what we were talking about early on, I think because we've seen so many upsets in the conference tournaments so far, I think we're going to see a lot of upsets in the NCAA tournament, and you picked three of the top four teams now. So I think uh, that's just a recipe for disaster for you. And you're well, gonna... yeah, that's how it goes every year. Well, I mean, it, yeah, it's so hard to go... predict. It's so hard to predict the upsets. But like... you have to kind of have that. that you got to think that's kind of like baked into it. Like, well, well there's going to be some upsets. We're talking, we're talking contenders to win the whole thing right now. A lot of times, yes, we see upsets in those first and second rounds. But then we see a lot of times we see those teams fade. And the most recent one in my mind to get the farthest was Loyola, Chicago, and they made the Final Four. They didn't make the championship. I'm talking win the championship, because obviously we're going to see a lot of upsets on day one. But do those upset teams usually make it past day two, maybe day three? Not really. Um, Sometimes they do. But and they don't contend for the actual title. In the past, okay, fine. Okay, in the past, maybe they don't, but this is it's 2021 this year. Different circumstances. Anything can happen. I think... We can be seeing like a thirteen move on, like oh. that, that. That's what I move think. on. It's far? gonna be move so on past yes. the first round. Yes, not only past the first round, but move on pretty far. I think this could be one of those years. I really maybe do. we'll see like a twelve seed, and it'll be like Cuse, who's a fake twelve seed. Right. If it was ever going to happen, this would be the year, right? I mean, you gotta, you gotta just, you gotta factor that in. And for me, my third team, uh, I'm calling a little biased, but I think UConn. I really do. I think UConn. They got a top ten player. Who might who was going to be in the draft in James Booknight? He has skied up um, draft boards, and if you just have that one star player and a really good supporting cast, which UConn does, um, I think that's a good recipe for the NCAA tournament. But I do like your pick of Michigan, not necessarily Illinois. Um, I do like Michigan though, and even though I did bash your you know your three of the top four um, teams that you picked. I do like Michigan. I'm not going to pick them just for the sake of arguing with you. Uh, but right now, um, I would say my top three teams are going to be Gonzaga, Oklahoma State, and then UConn. Those teams, okay. those are All my right. teams. So if you want to say championship or do you want to just say if any of those teams get to the Final Four, we'll kind of have a little friendly wager here, a little friendly bet. You know? Oh, if you... So how would it be? How would it work if it was make the final four? Would it be like so? Whoever out of the three, the three we picked, the most teams the, make it to the final, final four. four, right? And if we, oh, we if we that. tie, then that's fine. Then we, we we'll can do just, that. 
Yeah, then it'll just be a tie. Okay. All right, we'll do that. All right, so are you, with that being said, with pride on the line here, are you still content with your picks? Yes. Given I'm, everything that's gone on this I'm year? and locking in. Okay, you are. You're I'm locked. Gonna, you're locked it's in. in. So it's yours, let me, let me get this straight. So yours, Michigan, Illinois, and Gonzaga. Yeah. So we both have Gonzaga. Gonzaga, so... Well, no, no, we can just do Michigan, Illinois. Okay, and fine. Oklahoma we'll do that. State, UConn. You want to do another Everybody. team just for threes? Yeah, we can, we can add three. someone else. All right, well, I didn't really, really budget this out. I'm going to... You know what? I'm going to go with Florida State. They are really good year in and year out. A really strong head coach. Why not? Take a shot in the dark. We're going Florida State for my third pick. Florida State. So you're going to go with a team that should have won the ACC. Okay, really good. So you're going with like the front runners, which... They're, they're is, 15th in the country right now. Which is totally fine. I don't have anything They lost to Notre them. Dame. That's fine. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, they were. that's the last game of the year. They really weren't even trying, so... I mean, did you see Notre Dame? They got absolutely killed against... That's my point. North Carolina. Um, I don't know. I really don't know. Uh, man, I, I don't like, I was going to pick Ohio State, but then I was like, you know what? I, not really, because I just, over the past couple weeks, they haven't been playing well. Um, give me something. Give me something. I'm going to, I'm going to say, I'll say Iowa. All right. I will say Iowa, yeah, with Garza. I think Quinn is sticking with the strategy of if you have a stud, yeah, they're going far. Yeah, no. Keith Cunningham and Luka Garza within your right, and then Book Knight with UConn. So, well, not only a star, because like if you have a star, we saw with like Ben Simmons at LSU, like that doesn't really do the trick. They didn't even make it the NCAA tournament, but like if you have a star and then you have a really good supporting cast or like a like a like a one B. Then you're you're golden. Then you're then. Yeah. So that's what I'm gonna pick. So go over your teams again, just so I have it in my memory. All right. So we both have Gonzaga, but those both apply. But right. I got those... Michigan, Illinois, Florida State. Okay. Okay. All right. And then I will go. Who did I just pick? Iowa. I picked Iowa. UConn, I picked UConn. Oklahoma State. And Oklahoma State. There you go. There so you go. those are my teams. They're not gonna be the front runners. Iowa's kind of fallen off recently, but I do think that. I think they're going to really have a really good shot to make it to the Final Four. And these teams have to make it to the Final Four. So our our payoff pitch listeners, you now, hopefully you're invested a bit when you're watching these games if you're not already invested with your bracket. But let's move away from the NCAA tournament now to the NFL. And as you guys may, not, as you guys may or may not know, Quinn and I love the NFL. We talk about it all day. Yes. We finally got some new news as of this morning. Pats fans are probably not too happy right now. Cam Newton re-signed a one-year deal with the New England Patriots after he was, let's call it, um, underwhelming last year. Right, and Twitter and uh, on Twitter, Patriots fans are just going bananas because, and not in a good way either, because yeah. they absolutely hate the signing. They paid him fourteen million dollars over this next year, and I don't even think were they watching the games last year? Was Bill Belichick watching the games because Cam Newton? Couldn't even throw the football. It was bad. Like I can count like on like more than multiple occasions where Cam Newton would just throw it into the ground. Like it was bad. Mm-hmm. And now they signed him again. He's gonna come back. Fourteen million dollars. And I think I think some Pat fans are quick to blame the receiving core and the surrounding pieces. No, 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 no. He, as you said, was missing throws horribly. They were clearly off target. They were in the ground. I mean. 
there were some there were some throws out there, some games where it was like, Cam, what is what what are you doing? It's insane. But we'll see what happens. I mean, do you think he'll be the starting quarterback for 2021? I mean, yeah, I think they're paying him 14 million dollars. He's going to be the starting quarterback. I think the Patriots might go out and might draft another quarterback just to put behind Noon just to learn for a year or so. Jared Stidham is not. It's not it. No, obviously, because, I mean, you know how exactly they feel about Stidham because they re-signed Cam Newton to a $14 million deal. If they knew that, if they thought that Stidham was going to be good, they, would, they wouldn't have re-signed Cam Newton mm-hmm. even after that terrible year that he had last year. But all you need with the Patriots is just a competent quarterback, a quarterback who was average. We saw it over the past four years with Brady. Average at best, especially his last year with the Patriots. He is a game manager. And he did what was asked of him without making any mistakes, without embarrassing himself. Mm-hmm. And that's and that's exactly why the Patriots were just so good. Mm-hmm. It's because they did everything else so well. The mm-hmm. defense was great, and the defense was fine last year. Yeah. Special teams always carried Brady. So, like, with Cam Newton, you just need to put an average quarterback there. And if Cam Newton is average and maybe can add a little bit of a flair here and there, I think the Patriots will be right back in it. Like, mm-hmm. they're, not, they're not going to be a team that's going to be down for too long. No, the the AFC East could be interesting. I think the Bills are the clear front runners, but you know we'll see. But speaking of quarterbacks getting paid, Dak Prescott, the two year saga is over in Dallas. Uh yeah. I mean, what? I mean, you're the Cowboy fan. Yeah. So what was your initial reaction to it? I was happy it was over. I, I'm happy what was over. That the whole the tension between the, the Cowboys, whole, everyone saying sign Dak, how the Cowboys not signed Dak, and this that, and how it's just taking so long to get done. I'm happy it's finally over. And I think the amount, a lot of people have asked me, oh, they gave him so much. Or they've told me, they gave him so much. No, that's way too much money for a quarterback like Dak. I'm like, yes, I understand Dak has not had the most success as an NFL quarterback. He certainly hasn't been bad, but he certainly hasn't been great. But with, I think the Cowboys were in such a tough situation in that with today's quarterback market, whoever is up for the new deal at that time is going to get paid. If you're, if, if you're good enough to get paid, whoever is up for it at that time is is going to make monster numbers. I mean, it happens every single time. Jared Goff did it with the Rams. Carson Wentz did it with the Eagles. Obviously, Patrick Mahomes did it with the Chiefs. Lamar Jackson's going to do it with the Ravens, and Josh Allen's going to do it with the Bills. So that number, that contract number, Dallas didn't have a lot of leverage. Like they were, I had someone say Dak, if he entered free agency, he would have gotten significantly less money. I don't think so. Being a franchise quarterback in this league pays because, obviously, it's the most important position on the field. My only question is how much money the Cowboys have because, if I'm not mistaken, they're paying Ezekiel Elliott, top running back money. They're paying Amari Cooper, and he's among one of the top five, ten receivers paid in the league. And now you pay Dak Prescott, who just got an absurd contract. Mm -hmm. Like, how are you going to build around these three players and be competing? Cowboys had a good amount of cap space, surprisingly. And the good thing is all the... As you just mentioned, all the franchise cornerstones are locked up. Amari, Zeke, Dak, Zach Martin signed an extension a couple years ago. Leo Collins signed an extension last year. Dallas got an absolute bargain with him. Jalen Smith, he could be cut after this year. Honestly, he has not performed well. I mean, there's a lot of what-ifs on this Dallas You're going to cut Jalen Smith? Really? He has been he was awful last was year. He, he I was thought terrible. he was good. He I was thought terrible. he was one of the top linebackers in the league. The Cowboys defense was 
atrocious. Yeah, actually. but I thought that was more of kind of like the DBs for them. Nah, they they and, were bad all around. And they, they, they gave up 300 rushing yards to the Browns. And they're in a bill. Well, the Browns, the Browns are a really good rushing attack. I know, team. no, but overall the Cowboys. Trust me, Quinn. They were they were atrocious. Oh that. no, I, I don't I don't disagree with no, the know, Cowboys. Know defense referring, was bad. I know you're talking about Jalen individually, but he was not very good either. Like it it was. It was really bad all around. I, I thought it was more of like oh, the, the Cowboys just can't rush the quarterback either because Demarcus Lawrence hasn't been great. No, he he was underwhelming last year, but even then, it, it was just poor from all levels of the defense. And they're going to have to address that in the draft again. They, I've seen some mock drafts where the Cowboys take Kyle Pitts. Are you are you on? Are you like what? <laughs> what? We have Amari Cooper, C.D. Lamb, Michael Gallup, Ezekiel Elliott, Tony Pollard. Blake Jarwin, not a great NFL tight end, but I think the last two you could. Yeah. I think the last two guys that you named that you could have just left out. All right, well, Tony Pollard is a nice. Is trust me, he's a nice backup running back. He's when Zeke got hurt, he was excellent down. I mean, if you're a fantasy Cowboys, guy, you know who Tony Pollard is, but other than that, you have no clue what Tony Pollard is. Let's be honest. Anyway, Cowboys, why would you address the offense in this upcoming draft? It makes no sense. But now that Zach is paid, I think it's good for Cowboy fans that it's finally over. And at this point. Hopefully he succeeds. If he doesn't, then oh well. I mean, what would you have done if you were Jerry Jones in this situation? Would you have let Dak walk? Because I don't, I don't have faith in this Cowboys front office to find another quarterback like a Dak. Prescott. I would have put the franchise tag on him again if I were Jerry Jones. Really? And I know he wouldn't have liked it, but I would have because he's coming back from an ACL injury. Is it? It is ACL, right? No, no, no it was his ankle. Oh, wasn't his Top ankle? Okay, sure. okay. So he's coming back from a gruesome injury, terrible injury. Um, I would have done it. I. I mean, it's a business. This is a business league, and I would have just put the franchise tag on him, see how he does, and if he does really well, I'd pay him a ton of money next year. But I wouldn't have paid him that deal this year. Do you think Cowboy fans, though, the majority of them are happy with it, or do you think that because of the money, because of Dak and uh, coming back from the injury, do you think that maybe um, they're not happy with the signing? I think Cowboy fans are happy because a lot of Cowboy fans really do like Dak. And a lot of the Dak slander that Cowboy fans hear comes from external fan bases because you know, that's just the NFL. NFL fan bases are toxic as it is. Right. I think there are some Cowboy fans that are a little bit skeptical in that he's only made the playoffs twice. I mean, I wouldn't really count this last year. I'm, but also, I don't think they would have made the playoffs this year if he was healthy. But also, the East was terrible. I don't know. You can go back and forth on that argument in, in itself. But two out of four years made the playoffs, and both times they made it, they disappointed. Dak has one playoff win in four years of fully playing. So when you look at it from that aspect, yes, he puts up these stats, but he hasn't delivered in really when it matters most in terms of winning. So fans have different perspectives on it. Me personally, I'm a fan of it. I'm happy it's over, as I've said a hundred times. Yeah, I think now at this point, it's, it's wait and see what happens. And a guy who did help his team out in terms of salary cap is Tom Brady. And yeah. he just re-upped with the Bucks. They're going to defer the money over the next four years. It'll, in effect, be a one-year deal that they just agreed to. So he'll be playing through his age 40... I think it'll bring him to his age 44 season or age 45 season. Um, either way, he's going to be playing for the next year with the Buccaneers. I think we all kind of knew that. But what Brady did, again, was restructure his contract, make sure that the team that he won the Super Bowl with last year can come back uh, fully... And maybe they can even add some more pieces. So I think what Brady did was great. Um, I'm not a huge fan of Brady, as you know. But 
what Brady did was just keep his team intact, and mm-hmm. he knows the cost of winning. Yeah. And he, of course, has made so much money in his career, and he's married to a supermodel who makes, who makes more than him. So money doesn't really matter for him at this point. All that matters is winning. And I know Prescott is in a little bit of a, um, he's in a little bit of a different situation in terms of his earnings, but I mean he he's a guy who's earned over a hundred million dollars in his career. Yeah. So at like, this point now. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Because so, well, he was getting paid very very little as a fourth round pick. That's, but okay, okay, he was getting paid very little, but he had the franchise tag on him last year, yeah. correct? And he uh-huh. got paid like thirty two or thirty three million dollars. Yeah. It was crazy. So yeah. he. He did. He did very well for himself. I know you want the security, and he did very well in this um, contract with the Cowboys. But I think he's going to realize in the next couple of years or so, um, the Cowboys aren't going to have too much flexibility in terms of uh, in terms of salary cap. So he's going to probably have to restructure, or someone else is going to have to restructure, yeah. because you're not going to have a lot of players who just are absolutely terrible on the team because the Cowboys won't go anywhere. Kind of like what they've been doing over the past few years. Mm-hmm. Let's look at the other team in Texas who's dealing with the quarterback saga. We talked about it a lot last week. I said my one wish was that Deshaun Watson would be traded. That did not happen. But based on some GM comments, we could be seeing it soon. Quentin, want to hit us with those comments? Yeah, well, I don't have the comments like quote for quote. But if you read between the lines, he says that uh, we like players that are bought in to the team. So there's a check mark if you're if you're you know if you're one of those. Watson is leaving. Right, correct. And, and then uh, he says that Watson is our quarterback for now. I mean, that doesn't does that get any more clear that Watson is going to be gone? But then I think this all happened yesterday, and the head coach for the Texans did say that Watson is their quarterback definitively. Yes. So they're kind of sending a little bit of some mixed signals here. But I think if you're a Jet fan or you're a Dolphins fan or wherever. Um, I think you're a little encouraged by the recent happenings over the past day, and I think that we're moving closer to the point where Watson is going to be traded. I really do. I think when you take both of what was said into consideration, you got to listen to the GM more than the head coach. Because the head coach, what else? I mean, maybe the head coach can deflect the question. David Coley, maybe he's under the impression that he is going to be back, but I think Nick Casario, you read between those lines... NFL is that kind of league. And I think end of day, I think he has the authority over the head coach to make that decision. Obviously, with Deshaun Watson, you may have to go through the owner. uh, But I think if he he wants to trade Deshaun Watson, Deshaun Watson is going to be traded. And I think looking at all the teams that are rumored to be getting Deshaun Watson, the Jets have the best package to give up. And I think if you're the Texans... You want to be trading with the Jets, which mm-hmm. actually gives the Jets a little bit of a leg up. I know there was a report a couple weeks ago, maybe might have been even last week, where Adam Schefter said the four teams that Deshaun Watson wants to go to. But if Deshaun Watson is going to accept a deal to the Jets, then that list doesn't matter. If he's going to accept the deal to the Jets, then fine, go for it. So mm-hmm. that's just where I stand. I think um, the Jets, they can't give up too much. But I think Watson's out there. You gotta at least pick up the phone and make the call, for sure. That'll do it for this segment. And when we come back, we'll wrap up the rest of the show with some MLB talk and what they're talking about with the minors. So stay tuned for that. Uh, you're listening to VIC Radio. It's the Payoff Pitch. Stay with us. Welcome back to the Payoff Pitch, Luke Bagoni and Quentin Pelzel. Once again, here alongside with you and Quentin. 
Not sure if you saw, but the Mets won Game 7 of the World Series last week. Yeah, apparently. Surprised we're not celebrating. Yeah, apparently they did. There were a couple of Mets beat reporters who actually posted. So apparently the Mets were doing defensive drills, and I guess um, they made the last play. It was, uh, it was... It was a you had they had to make twenty seven straight plays without an error defensive plays without an error. Okay, and once they did that, they were gonna celebrate like they just won Game Seven of the World Series. And I guess you know whatever floats your boat. If you can visualize it, it's gonna happen. Then exactly. I guess it's gonna happen. And I good guess, juju. You manufacture it. Do you think it's gonna happen? It'll happen. Yeah, and I guess that's kind of what the Mets gonna go for there. For me, I'm not really. I don't really care for that. Oh, not I do. I just thought it was funny. The Mets. I thought it was funny, and I think a lot of other. Like, people around the MLB thought that it was funny, too. But, um, you know, um, I really don't have anything else to say about that. I think that the Mets, they need to focus on actually making plays when the game actually matters because they can't be doing that. They can't do that over the past couple games. There was a spring training game that was actually on TV, and it was bizarre that the spring training game was actually on TV because it seems like there's nothing that's on TV now, which is (laughs) crazy. But... I mean, Jeff McNeil, he made three errors. You had guys dropping fly balls, base running plays just, or base running blunders. Uh, it was just kind of like tough to watch. And I know it's spring training, first couple weeks, it's going to have that. But like, this is an MLB team and they're making these errors. I think it's a little concerning for me. It is concerning, but at the same time, as you said, it's spring training. And this is where you hopefully get the get the kinks out in that, you know, yeah, I mean, it's spring training. That's yeah, and <laughs> last night we had the Mets play the Astros, and I know they won one nothing. doesn't really matter, but Jacob deGrom pitched, and he threw three perfect innings, had seven strikeouts, and he got up to 102 miles an hour in, I think it's his second or third spring training start. So that is just stupid. I, I love that, man. Uh, he's... Unreal. Like, to, the fact that he's New York Met just brings so much joy and so much pride, I think, to Met fans. Like, he, if he goes out and wins a third Cy Young in four years, I, I mean, has that been done before? Uh, it probably has. It probably has. Maybe Roger Clemens, I think. But I think that if the situation was normal last year, I think Jacob deGrom would have won the Cy Young again. I think whichever Bauer pitching against the NL and AL Central against... Teams like the Tigers, the Royals, the Brewers, who were under 500 last year. I think if he was pitching actually against the rest of the MLB, I think things would have been a lot different. So I think there's definitely a lot of potential for DeGrom to win another Cy Young this year. And uh, I think I'm really going to be looking forward to that. Hopefully he can stay healthy. Um, knock on wood for DeGrom on that. Yeah, exactly. Make sure you do that a um, couple of times a day. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think... What he has done in terms of improving his velocity from when he came up is just incredible. I remember when he came up, and it was the same weekend that Rafael Montero made his MLB debut too. And if you don't know who Rafael Montero is, he was a top prospect coming up. Yeah. Right-hand pitcher. And do you remember him? Do you remember him? I know the name. Okay. So, and he's still in the MLB, actually. He actually resurrected his career with the Rangers, but... When he was coming up, he was supposed to be way better than DeGrom. He was supposed to be what DeGrom is right now. Yeah. I mean, he was supposed to be really good. And he made his debut that same series. It was a weekend series against the Yankees. And I'll never forget it. Montero came up. He pitched okay. It wasn't great. But DeGrom pitched in that same series. And he pitched so well. And I was like, 
who the heck is this guy? This is guy Jacob DeGrom, and he was throwing like casual 93, 94, yeah. pedestrian maybe. You know, he gets it up to 95 maybe. And then all of a sudden now, here we are like four years, five years later, he's throwing 102. Does that even make any sense at no, all? not at all. Like um, if you were just looking at this from an outsider perspective, you would think that he's taking the biggest steroids ever. Mm-hmm. Like seriously, like uh, how is he improving his velocity that much? I had no clue. He, he's how, now throws how, it the fastest in the MLB. How how old is he? Is uh, he is thirty? He's like thirty one or thirty two. Thirty two years old, and he's he's getting better. One hundred and two mile per hour. Yeah. The quote here: "Aging like fine wine." It's exactly what he's doing. Right. That's he's, what Pete Alonso said last night. That was a great quote. Um, and I think what actually benefits Degrom is that. He started off his college career as a shortstop, so he doesn't have the innings that a typical college pitcher does have on the yeah. arm. So I think that'll benefit good. him, right? I think that'll benefit him as he goes forward and as he gets older too, because he doesn't uh-huh. have that wear and tear. You look back at that 2018 season. Oh my goodness! I mean, people were like, it was when it was when him and Scherzer were competing for the Cy Young, and Degrom ran away with it at the end. But that one guy voted for Scherzer because he had a better record. And DeGrom was 10-9. and nine. The Mets couldn't score. Yeah. And DeGrom had a 1-7 ERA. And we over know, 32 games pitched. And it's great, too, that kind of the new analytics have been shying away from the record for starting pitchers because, honestly, record doesn't matter at all. There is so much other... Um, there are so many other things that influence a game, whether that be the defense behind you, whether that be your, your offense. So, and plus... You pitch maybe six or seven innings, and then you give it up to the bullpen. I can count. There's been so many times where Jacob DeGrom leaves the game with the lead intact, up 2-1 to one or one nothing, and then the bullpen blows it and he doesn't get the win. Like, how many times did that happen? And you can't, you can't penalize DeGrom for what, how bad his bullpen is or for how bad his offense is, not scoring him many runs. So I think that... Um, you know, whoever that reporter is, he just wants some clout. He just wants clicks. No, I agree. With he wants you. attention. Like, it, the pitcher doesn't hit. I mean, in the end, they do, but they're not. They're not meant to right. be driving in all these runs and hit home runs and whatnot. Like the guys on the team, guys in the lineup, obviously have to provide one run support. Jacob Degrom had Yankees run support that season. I remember having a lot of arguments about this. It just on a typical year, average MLB scoring. Probably would have right. gone. It was ten and nine. Would probably maybe gone fifteen and four. Yeah, something bizarre yeah. like that. Yeah, it's crazy. Now he was ten and nine, and it was actually crazy looking at the numbers that he actually did go over five hundred with the amount of runs that were scored for him because the Mets did not score at all. They also played terrible defense behind him, and he ran into a lot of bad luck or mm-hmm. as much bad luck as you possibly can be if your name is Jacob Degrom. Yeah, but. It was just really bad, and I was really glad to see him win the Cy Young that year. He deserved it 100%. But for that writer who didn't vote for him based on the record, I mean, I guess you can kind of compare that to a quarterback record for football. I mean, that's that's kind of like that. Like, the quarterback can only control so much, and then you leave it to the special teams. You leave it to the defense. You leave it to the players around him mm-hmm. and the offensive line. Mm-hmm. So, like... That's kind of comparable, and I think we kind of overblow the record for quarterbacks as well. Yeah. And we'll get into that for another no, time. Yeah, but switching over from the Mets to the Yankees now. Yeah. The Yankees over under ninety five and a half wins. Yeah. I'm slamming that over. I I think that hits. I actually agree with you. Over ninety five and a half. They do play in kind of a tough division. You have the Rays, who are always pretty good. The Red Sox are always okay. The Orioles are like, 
Orioles, Orioles are terrible. Orioles are terrible. They're going to beat up on the Orioles just like the Yankees always do. But you got the Rays. You got the Yankees. I mean, you got the you got the Rays and the Blue Jays. The Blue Jays are the team that I think is going to make a huge improvement with they, the guys they, that they, they got. Be really good. Yeah, they, I mean, I think the Blue Jays are going to be really good. And one thing that actually happened over the past week that we didn't get to was Zach Britton. He is out yeah. um, for the foreseeable future because of an elbow injury. He's getting surgery to remove a bone chip. And I think that's going to hurt the bullpen um, immensely for the Yankees. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of pressure now will go on Aroldis Chapman, Chad Green, and former Met Justin Wilson. They re- they signed Justin Wilson, and uh, I think that bullpen is going to definitely be uh, feeling it a little bit, at least for the first couple months, right? Yeah, I mean, I think you got to look just at their the star power in that lineup is just going to will them to win a lot of games. And in, you go down the list. I saw a tweet that was like, the Yankees realistically have four guys who can hit 50 home runs this season, and I was like, I mean, that's that's ridiculous. But I, four I, guys hit 50, uh, 40 or 50, I think it might have been. Okay, who, who have the ability to? They so, won't. They won't do it probably. But so obviously, uh, he's I, looking I, didn't, at... I, didn't, I didn't do further research on it, but I assume Judge, Stan, first two, Voight, Voight can. I don't know if Glaber would be a 50 bomber. I think he could be 40, definitely. I think he could be 40. Mm-hmm. I don't know about 50, though. For Glaber, 50? And who else? Like, Clint Frazier, not really. I know we just named Void. DJ, no. Um, Gio, no. Gary Sanchez? Could, could, that's, could, that may have been who they could be a to. 50, but like he doesn't play enough games. Like, a typical catcher nowadays will play like 130 or 140 mm-hmm. games if you're the number one. Especially with his defensive... Issues right. he may not and, be playing every year. And the injuries that he suffers. Yeah. And his just struggles offensively as well. Never mind the defensive issues. So mm-hmm. um, Kyle Higashioka has played pretty well. So I think that Gary Sanchez to get 50 home runs is a little overblown. And speaking of Gary Sanchez, Aaron Judge actually said earlier this week that Gary has the potential to win the, to win the MVP. Okay. Um, yeah. I don't know about all that. I... I, I would be I would agree with you on that. I think Gary Sanchez, like, what what do you think? So Yankee fans have been bashing Gary Sanchez. Or what do you think the Yankee fan is going to be looking for for Gary Sanchez? Like, what do you think would be a good year for Gary Sanchez in terms of average home runs and RBIs? Well, Yankee fans have incredibly high expectations. But, like, <laughs> even, with, even with Gary Sanchez and how he's performed over the past couple of years, like... That taken into consideration, do you think the Yankees still have high expectations for him? I don't think Probably. so. Probably. I think they would. I mean, like I said, we're talking about Yankee fans. He batted 147 last year, so I don't think he does that again. I think he'll, I mean, he's a career 236 hitter. Hopefully, I mean, based on what we've seen in spring training and how Yankee fans are talking about him right now, sounds like he's going to return to that form. He had 10 home runs last year, 34 the year before. I think he can get to that 25 range. Thinking about it, he can hit 25 home runs, go for... 90 RBIs and have a 220 average, 230 average, Yankee fans will be happy. I think, uh, yeah, no, I think they would be happy too. I think 220, 230 is realistic to look for Gary Sanchez. He, I mean, he averages, what, 236 is what you said? Yeah, I think 220, 230. Average, yeah. I think the RBIs might be a little high. I don't think he'll be in the lineup um, as much to uh, get those RBIs, but I think 30 home runs, I think he can get to 30 for sure. 
Um, and then like maybe 75, 80 RBIs. I think it's going to be one of those years for Gary. I think he'll be better than last year because how can you not be? Yeah. But I don't think he'll be like he'll be an MVP like 147. Right. That's we got that's about something. we got about five minutes to go here on the payoff pitch. Um, undercovered with Emily Adams and Alora Legard will come up right after us here in just under five minutes. Uh, I do want to. I did want to touch on this. Um, the MLB is going to experiment with some rule changes in the minor leagues this year. I want to preface this by saying this will only be the minor leagues. It'll be Double A. So the MLB and we're good. So the MLB is going to experiment with some rule changes in the minor leagues this year, and uh, I want to say I want to preface this by saying that this will only be in the minor leagues. We'll not see any of these rules in the MLB, but some of these include enlarging the bases three inches. And I don't know why. I think it's maybe to. I think they say here in the athletic article that um, they want to increase stolen bases. So. I don't know how that would increase or encourage more stealing and experimenting, but they also uh, put in here an anti-shift rule where every single player on the infield needs to have their foot on the dirt. So, and on top of that, this I think is the most goofiest one of all. Pitchers will only have two pickoff attempts. Two. They'll have two, quote, free tries. After that, if the runner is not thrown out, it's a balk. And the runner will automatically be awarded the next base. They also say in here that there's going to be an electronic strike zone as well. Yeah, I guess I guess the the picking off and balk thing. That's I guess to try to get the game to go faster. Yeah, because yeah. I mean you know that's a that's a large critique from from just general sports fans that baseball is boring and it takes too long. And maybe I mean I don't know how much time that would really eliminate, but I don't think that would work out well in the MLB because a lot of times when there's a pickoff, that's one of the most electric plays you see in baseball. But in like a big moment, the play when a pitcher picks someone off, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. And then the electronic strike zone. Imagine watching, and I mean, I'm assuming would this would there be an umpire like a, a, a think, robot umpire? I think like? there would still be an umpire behind okay. the plate to rule if you know a runner is out at home plate. But that's it. I don't know how it's gonna be. I really don't. I don't know how it would look. It would definitely be a little different. But, man, I, I'm going to tell you, I do not like the electronic strike zone. And the fact that they're actually putting it in the minor leagues in double A uh, is a little concerning because that means that the MLB is seriously considering yep. these rules and we might actually see this in the future. Um, enlarging the bases, I don't get how this encourages more stealing. Like, I know it may be, like, a, by a couple inches, it um, shortens the distance. But, like, teams don't want to steal. In the new analytics, we saw that in Moneyball, teams don't want to steal. They don't want to get thrown out at second base. That's that's the quote. They don't want to. And I don't know. I think if an MLB team wants to steal, they'll steal. You don't have to enlarge the bases three inches. Like, what does that do? And the anti-shift rule, let them play how they want. You know, if a batter can't lay a bunt down or go the other way, that is on him. And he knows that full well going in that they're going to play him a certain way. And that's going to be it. So... If he can, if he can go the other way, kudos to him. But I don't think you should put any rule on a on a on a shift. I really don't. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, why, why do it? What's the point? Why Why do they feel the need to implement all these rule changes right now? I think um, I didn't really read like the reasoning, but I think you know you don't even have to read the reasoning from these MLB writers. All you have to know is that the MLB is trying to change things up. Fans have been lacking over the past couple of years, fan viewership, and I think that they're looking to 
yeah, like I said, spice some things up, change the rules a little bit. And I know some MLB diehards, some traditionalists are definitely going to be saying, you know, this is terrible. Don't do this. But, you know, it's the reality of the situation. I think they're definitely going to do that. So that'll wrap it up here for the third edition of the Payoff Pitch. Thank you for listening. You're listening to VIC Radio. Quinton Pelzel, Luke Bagoni. Uh, we'll be back next week in the studio on Sunday. And coming up right now is going to be Undercovered with Emily Adams and Alora Lagarde. Stay right here on VIC Radio.